I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? All right, so we're talking about the one and only Wes Anderson. Hi, this is Karen from San Francisco. This is Alex from Los Angeles, and welcome to Movies That Shaped Us. We are two longtime friends who grew up on opposite ends of the globe with very different backgrounds, but we're both shaped and are still being shaped by the movies we see and love. In this episode, we'll cover a filmmaker who shaped our love of film. And Karan, you already said it. It is Wes Anderson. For me, he is not only one of my favorite directors currently, like I've seen every single one of, I will see every single one of his films in theaters. Mm -hmm. And he actually has a new short coming out, which is why we're dropping this episode now that's um, coming to Netflix. But I think it's also getting a limited theatrical release, probably like a New York, LA type type deal. But um, I've loved Wes Anderson since I was in high school, since seeing Rushmore for the first time. It really uh, struck a chord to me, meant a lot to me. We actually covered it in our episode 24 episodes on school experience. So we can Mm -hmm. hear more of our take on that when it came to school. But the movie really connected with me. And from then on, I'm like, who is this director? I want to watch all of his his, his films. Oh, he's only done one other thing. Oh, okay. And then a follow his career going forward. Because this is right at the beginning of, of his career. And for me too, just in the process of discovering my love of film around that time as well. Um, I was in high school, late nineties. That was when I was really becoming obsessed with like the art of film and going back and watching old movies and really understanding. I think he was one of the first directors. I really understood. I think what a director does, the directors can have a signature style and a signature Mm. mark because it was so visual. I mean, to be honest, probably the first director I felt that way about was Tim Burton. Cause again, it's very obvious to see. And as a child sort of understanding like what a director is, you don't really know. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's hard to kind of tell the theme of Martin Scorsese movies feel a certain way. Like if you're 10, you're not going to understand that, but you can visually see when directors have unique visual styles. Oh, this looks like that director. And for me, definitely Wes Anderson had a very unique visual style and became more unique as his career went on. But even in Rushmore, it is, it looked very different. And I, that was felt fresh and new. And, and to me, I was like, who is this? It must be the director. And then that started a lot for me. And I've, I've loved him and his, his films ever since. And what about you? What's your relationship with, with Wes and his films? Yeah, very similar with kind of the signature style, but I came to him very late in life. I think the first movie that I saw that made a huge impact on me was actually Grand Budapest. Cause mm. you know, as listeners know, like I, you know, moved to the US later in life and and had to sort of play a lot of catch up. So I watched that movie and was blown away by its artistry and how sort of lighthearted and fun it was, but also this ability to deal with darker themes. And that's been a constant in Wes's movies. Mm -hmm. You know, your mileage might vary on that. And he also plays with the degree of kind of gray and dark that exists in his movies. But I found that very interesting. And then, of course, I went back and watched all of his stuff. And since then, I've been following his career, will watch everything and anything that he does. So yeah, I am very excited to get into his filmography. Yeah, no, no, me too. I think he's been not only influential, sounds like for for the two of us, but he definitely is one of the few directors nowadays that I think has such a a unique style that Mm -hmm. he's a brand in and of himself. I mean, it's not to the level in terms of commercial success of like a you know, James Cameron or Christopher Nolan, but people know Wes Anderson and and you can meme. There's all these things going around TikTok and with the AI generation things, which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about later in the episode. But I think uh, he's a rare that he is an independent filmmaker who's made mainly small films without a gigantic financial success on the level of like uh, what Christopher Nolan or Steven Spielberg has done. But people know his name. 
if you go to outside of you know, the movie communities, people still know what Wes Anderson is. It would probably yep. be able to recognize his visual style. And I think that speaks a lot to his uniqueness as, as an artist that he is so parodied in the way that he is. You know, maybe you can argue for better or for worse, but I think that's what makes him so unique that, yeah, you can parody him, but that essence of really what he is as a filmmaker, which you touched on, it's a lot of very serious and, and adult themes wrapped around something that seems on its surface to be very you know, pleasant and, and cookie cutter, maybe childlike in a way or whimsical. Yeah. yeah, there it's that's there, but underneath it is is a lot more complicated issues. And that's just potentially how he deals with him those issues in his own life. He has to wrap them up in this mm-hmm. this this very controlled world. Because I perhaps too he is so obsessed with you know art design, camera control, all these things that I love about his work. But he's wrapping those under around emotions that you really can't control. So yeah. he's trying to get control out of everything that he can because the, the the heart of his movies are about things that you have no control over, which are your feelings, how other people feel about you, how you feel about them, and all the hard and difficult things that life has in store. But yeah. he, but he's a control freak, so he has to try to do as much as he can, and maybe that's sort of the essence of why his movies look a certain way, but they feel kind of completely different. Yeah, no, totally. Couldn't have said it better. I will say though, from a commercial standpoint, like given his, you know, size and scope and scale of movie making, like I think he's actually done fairly well even commercially. Like sure, sure, sure. You know, right. Like right. these movies, they end up making like a decent amount of money, even in today's climate where it's so hard to, you know, get folks to the theater if it's not like a big budget giant movie although hopefully that changes after this year right right i mean i meant more along the lines of he hasn't had his like again for christopher nolan it would be like the dark knight yeah or, uh, but he's Tim not Burton seeking even. that but, uh, fair enough right right yeah. no he, he he definitely is not i'm sure he <laughs> could if he wanted to just yeah. go in and pick up any movie you know but that's not his style so i just meant in terms of that blockbuster success obviously for what right. his the world he's in i mean he is definitely one of the most successful independent filmmakers and in yeah. terms of the his budget size versus what he returns at, at the yeah. box office he's a, a great track record which is probably why he's able to keep working <laughs> Right. The way that he is, because his financiers know that they'll return, the, they'll probably get a good return on their their investment. Yeah. Okay, so to jump into his filmography, then the first three of his films, which were Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, and Royal Tenenbaums, I do think is definitely his beginning phase. I mean, this is right. where he was first getting his name out there, honing his style, and becoming an art house darling. I think is is the best way to put it. And Bottle Rocket was based on a short film that he did actually that I've also seen. That um, also a movie that we covered in our meet cute episode, which mm-hmm. was episode 33. So we've covered Bottle Rocket. This film I did not see until I first saw Rushmore. I went back and and watched Bottle Rocket. And like I said in that episode, I find it in- incredibly charming, moving, fun. There's a there's definitely a unique style there, but it's not as much of that dollhouse um, mm-hmm. style and aesthetic that we'll even find in Rushmore. But I think this film is uh, still one of my easily one of my favorites of his top three probably for me I, I just love this film what any anything else do you want to touch on with bottle rocket like when you just kind of do you see this chronologically like you went back after budapest and started the beginning oh that's yeah, cool so you can see his style evolve yeah started in bottle rocket and sort of worked my way up but one could argue that these earlier movies especially bottle rocket and rushmore mm-hmm. are maybe the most pure form of his storytelling because 
the storytelling is not totally taken over by the visual aesthetic. And, mm-hmm. and you know, as we talk further, we'll see uh, there are obviously examples of when those two are in total harmony. But mm-hmm. in this case, it's very much about those sort of themes of broken relationships and complicated people, people who are unable to express their emotions really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're dealing through all of that. And there is some sort of, you know, I won't use the word hijinks, but there's some sort of like larger than life kind of quirky situation at play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that is the artifice as opposed to the Russian doll visual aesthetic that helps him kind of navigate these characters and these emotions. But but they just hit a lot stronger because mm-hmm. they're pure. They're just out there. But at the same time, like the sophistication of how they're put together, the performances and the screenplay... Like, you can't tell, like, this is like a young filmmaker making his first movies. Like, they feel like these two movies in particular would be, no pun intended, at the Rushmore of most directors (laughs) who, you know, had like a 40-year career. And he just, right out of the gate, is sort of so clear in what he's trying to say. Yes, no, definitely. It's it's very unique for a filmmaker to come out with such a strong vision, especially Rushmore and then Royal Tenenbaums, the next film that he made, are really... Very, very distinct. I mean, Rushmore, yeah. there's, you know, curtains closing over the screen during the different acts. There's a uh, very, very controlled camera movements in, in that film. But then also the, that unique quirkiness, like you mentioned, you know, in Rushmore, there's he's putting together these plays that are, you know, in a grade school, but woefully like inappropriate in terms of the type of stuff that they're that they're dealing with. But again, that's an also a sort of a, a child's attempt to to mm. operate in an adult world. I mean, that's a lot of what that movie mm-hmm. is is about and that works so well and the other thing i love about this these first three films too are the 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 needle drops that he's able to do oh, and the yeah. use of pop songs and existing music material i mean rushmore has some of my favorite needle drops in any film and also royal tenenbaums i mean starting off with that version of hey jude is just yeah. really really powerful and incredible and and I, you know i like later on in his career when he you know started working a lot more with like alexander desplat and his movies now don't feature needle drops anymore. They're very much about the score. But I honestly miss this period of his career where he just was so excellent at, at getting a, an incredible soundtrack to accompany the film. I mean, I bought every single one of these first three movies. I had all their soundtracks and would listen to them a lot, you know, through college and things because they just remind me of the film. But they're also a great collection of very mm-hmm. eccentric music. There was a lot of, you know, 60s, 70s, which I was listening to anyway, but they're more niche type of songs and artists that it was just fantastic. And I really kind of missed that, that part of his career. And, and one thing I'll mention too, before we kind of move on to the next phase, is something I brought up. I think, I can't remember if this was in our Rushmore episode or the Royal Tenenbaums, which you talked about in episode 29, which is our family episode. These three films, Wes co-wrote with Owen Wilson mm-hmm. and he never came back. He has not yet come back to work with Owen as a screenwriter. And I feel that there is a, a sort of a, a, a heart and extra yeah, emotion and a sweetness that is that is woven into these films, which never really came back in any of his other films in this certain way. And then also, I think there's you know an element of the damage potentially that damaged characters even more so in these three movies than a lot of the rest of his his career. I find, and I, I feel that there's I don't know exactly what Owen contributes in terms of the specific lines or story structure, I've never dug into that necessarily in, in the making of these films, but I do find the work that Wes did with, 
with Owen in terms of the screenwriting to be the strongest of his career so far, at least I just think they have a special, they had a special pairing there and a bond as artists that I kind of wish he would go back and work with Owen at some point in the future. Maybe he will. We never know. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. There's like a tenderness to it. As we go forth, I will say, I think there's some other gems that come along the way as well. But but yeah, this is a pretty special relationship. The other thing I would call out here also is that you see his evolution in these three movies from working with, you know, lesser known actors mm-hmm. like the Owen Wilson's brother to industry titans like Gene Hackman and Angelica Houston and Danny such in Royal Talent Bombs. And mm-hmm. I, I love that progression as well. Like it's the same pure damage people character relationships but you see like a elevation in the product that he's put out there in royal talent bombs because he has amazing actors at play and also a larger ensemble something that we see a lot more of as his career kind of progresses because the first two movies are a lot more contained in terms of Mm -hmm. its principal characters Mm -hmm. so that's great i love seeing that and then we can't start a wes anderson Filmography not mentioned Bill Murray, who's yes. kind of a signature mainstay from pretty much the the get-go. And it's so interesting. I don't even know the backstory of how they found each other, but it sort of feels like that Bill Murray in my head is kind of this encapsulation of quirky, slightly prickly or a lot prickly, a little bit irritating, but also charming and lovable. All of that is encapsulated in the Bill Murray persona, which to me is sort of the distillation of Wes Anderson's work. No, definitely great call. I mean, James Caan was in Bottle Rocket, but it was a different coup, I guess, in terms of getting Bill Murray, who at the time was in a career doldrums. And this mm-hmm. that this movie actually, in its performance in Rushmore, I think shifted his entire career to this yeah. totally different path after trying to be in broad comedies in the, in the mid to early to mid nineties. So it, was, it also uh, changed his career. And I think it because of the accolades that Murray got for that performance that led West potentially to be able to snag like a Gene Hackman or an Angelica Houston right. or these other in, Titans because they saw, oh, wow, this guy can get great performances out of, you know, actors as, as uh, successful as Bill Murray. So moving then on to the next phase I feel it should be like Life Aquatic and Darjeeling. Those two seem to me that very paired together, not only kind mm-hmm. of in themes, but also in terms of like artistic success. So I remember actually seeing Steve Zissou like opening night. It was actually a early screening at the Egyptian theater. It was like a huge Wes Anderson fan. Like everyone is. And it was like a, oh my God, what is he going to do after Tenenbaums? And it was mm-hmm. definitely a, a major feeling of disappointment in the audience after Zissou the movie actually underperformed. We talked about budgets. This is his biggest budget ever. And he did not able to return what I think the investors thought after Royal Tenenbaums was such a giant hit at the box office and also with awards. So Zisu really, I think, put Wes Anderson on a, a back foot. And people, a lot of talk at the time was too busy, too overextended, too too much, no heart there, something's missing. And I, I think that you know made him scale everything back a lot for Darjeeling Limited, which is a, a more straightforward type of narrative visual style back to the only you know like you said there's no more ensemble anymore it's really just three characters and brothers and how they relate as opposed to what he was trying to do with zisu is paint this giant world mm-hmm. so I, I feel like this was a period of humbling um for him even though i do like both films i like darjeeling a lot more we touched on that film in episode 16 our travel episode 
Zisu, I still am disappointed in it every time I go back to it. I'm hoping that maybe this is the time that the movie will work a little bit more for me, but I think it's it's mixed success. So what about you? What were your thoughts? Having not gone through this at the time, so right. at the time, just can imagine like, oh my God, this is like the next best director of all time. And then Steve Zisu comes out and it's just like, oh, oh, maybe this guy was just a flash in the pan. Yes, I have not been able to finish Zisu. I just- <laughs> Speaks for itself, I know. Yeah, I just got so bored. Yeah, you know, and I want to give another shot. And I will say that you can start to see like the development of the great art design and, you know, yes, yes. all of that is starting to come come to life, which we see in, in the rest of his career. So in that sense, it is pivotal because you don't see much of that in the first three movies. So, right, right. but in terms of like storytelling and like you, like you said, the heart is gone. And there's also something very dark in these yes. movies and yes. and I wonder how much of that is that when you get success so early on and then the world is expecting you know all these great things from you and now you have to recreate it and what does that pressure make you do mm. it sort of feels like a product of that a little bit the other thing also is that is this the time when Noah Baumbach joined him yes Noah joined him for Life Aquatic um he yeah. was not involved in Darjeeling, that was Coppola and Jason Schwartzman. So Roman uh, Coppola and Schwartzman wrote that one with him. But yeah, Bombach joined him on on Steve Zissou. And I, th I think that does just change uh, something yeah. about the Wes Anderson dynamic for you yeah, know it. Because he's definitely a much more darker themed mm -hmm. filmmaker who I really enjoy in for his movies himself. But I think this partnership is maybe not the most successful at least this time around but but i can imagine right like you're sort of the indie world's darling and we love to kind of put up our heroes and it, it must be a tough spot to be in to follow up something like royal town bombs um but i'm so glad that post Darjeeling limited you know he starts to kind of come back to what we love him for, uh, even though those two movies, obviously, I'm sure they have their fans and they are. Yeah, I, you know, I like pivotal. Darjeeling. I'll, I'll yeah. stand up for that. But it but grew yes. up, grew on me after yeah. we watched it for our episode. I kind of want to go back and watch it again. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting that you mentioned that with Zisu, just in terms of like the pressures and everything, because actually the film is in a way about that too. Like the yeah. main character is a filmmaker who's under a lot of pressure to make another film, even though his. Wow, I, I didn't even think about this. His his sort of. Um, old friend who he used to make movies with died with a shark and shark attack. And now he's no longer working with Owen Wilson. I wonder if he's wrapping that into it. Now he's off on his own doing something and does he live up to the expectations? So I'm wondering if the movie sort of is set up to fail. It's sort of like oh, wow. a, in a meta comment on where he is in his career. I think that's a really good point. You brought that up that he had all those expectations. Maybe that was what he was putting into the, into the work and that pressure. And yeah, he maybe he I should deliver. watch it with that context. Now maybe I, maybe I like <laughs> Yeah. Well, then, then we're moving on. So, you know, Darjeeling was, again, a limited success commercially and critically, but definitely recovered from the disappointment in Zisu. And then we have Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Budapest Hotel. I feel like that's kind of the next phase, which is him coming back to both critical and box office acclaim. And also the films are much, much stronger than that last period. So just the Mr. Fox we talked about in our fall episode, episode 25, his first time working in stop motion animation, which, you know, he's so controlling anyway with these live action. It's just amazing to see him when he literally control everything about the world. And I, as I, we said in that episode, I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. Every time I watch mm -hmm. it, it gets better and better. And it's the, I'm glad he's done a couple animated films or one animated film since, and actually has a couple more shorts coming up. And I'm very 
I love when he works in animation and I'm very excited to see how those work out. But that's that to me in this period, I think is my, my favorite though. I do really like uh grand Budapest hotel a lot too. I think that's, I somewhat argue it's his masterpiece. I prefer the Rushmore's and Tenenbaums of the world, but that film to me is, is also just incredible and gets better each time I see it. And so this would have been the phase you came in on him in terms of real yeah. time. What were your thoughts on these these films? Yeah, I mean, like you said, we talked in our episode as well, but like this kind of animation and storytelling and and once again, he's dealing with, you know, complex th- themes of what is it to be a man? What yeah. is it to grow up? And then what is it to have a family? What do you fight for? And those are, again, I wouldn't call them dark themes. They're adult, adult. mature themes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the transition because earlier we had adult themes, but they were quite dark around like absentee parents and mm-hmm. suicide and things mm-hmm. like that versus this is very much about sort of growing up. But then it's handled with in this amazing tapestry of animation, something that I had never seen before. It's like amazing and beautiful. And then not to mention great voice work. Like he hires the topmost talent there is in Clooney and and Meryl Streep and Mm -hmm. gets these amazing performances from them, which is, you know, for the record, really. So, yeah, I, I love this one. But to me, Budapest is sort of the crown jewel of this phase. Only because that's kind of what got me, I think. Yeah, yeah. I touched on this a little bit earlier, which is that to me, that's the movie where the visual storytelling, the nuances of the art design and the emotional storytelling is all sort of coming together. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that obviously is in the screenplay and the direction, but also Ray Fiennes. I think he, mm-hmm. I wish they will work again sometime me too. together. Yeah, Because you know? yeah. I think he brings that sense of heart to this otherwise kind of quirky odd character you know Mm -hmm. this could have been played by bill murray and it would not be a warm person correct but there's something about ray fines and this relationship between him and zero is just so incredible so i don't know this is the movie where the art design and all the intricacies of the russian doll miniature work is in most in service of the story yes and his characters and that's why i love it the most i watched this one the most yeah, this is your comfort movie. So we yeah. talked about that in our comfort movie episode uh, 28. So folks want to go back and hear us talk more about Budapest that was in that episode. And I agree. I think the movie does does really work. And each time I see it, I appreciate it a lot better. One just note before we move on to the final phase, we did not talk about Moonrise Kingdom, which personally is my least favorite of all of his I've films. I've never seen that one. It's It's never worked for me. Though I know there's a lot of defenders and right. that, that film's sort of picking up a lot of steam online, at least of like, oh, it's so underrated and really is one of his best. I just it's just not. I've seen it maybe a handful of times, and every time I'm just like, this just does absolutely nothing for me. So that's that's my least favorite of his mm. film so far. I just wanted to make a note of that. So mm. maybe when you see it, you'll have a difference of opinion. We'll have to maybe it'll come up in a future episode. So the the final phase, which is the one we're in now, is would be films like Isle of Dogs, French Dispatch, Asteroid City. This is, again, kind of piggybacking off of Grand Budapest in terms of, you know, there's a lot of the Russian doll aesthetic, like you mentioned. It now expands back to more ensemble character sets as opposed to Grand Budapest, which is much about relationship between two people, which is what he he's done in several of his movies. And now we're back to so the Tenenbaums or the Zisu or these large swaths, even bigger than he has ever had. These all feel like ensemble pictures to me, too. They're not mm-hmm. really about one single character. Held French Dispatch is actually a uh, uh, anthology film of a right. bunch of short films put together. So it's very interesting the phase that we're in now. I think I like these films more than I love them. 
the, I think I just, I also haven't seen them a lot, maybe right. one or two times each one of them at this point, because they're new. And also I haven't connected to them on the same level as the previous ones, but I think it's a very interesting period that he's in right now. What, what are your thoughts on these films? Yeah, I totally agree. It's a very interesting period. I think these movies are actually a lot deeper mm-hmm. than what meets the eye, especially Asteroid City. Yeah. I think there's so much going on there. The narrative device, though I love it on an intellectual level of sort of a play in a play in a play sort of Mm -hmm. thing that's happening, it takes a bit for for your heart to catch up, you know? And I think that's sort of what holds one back. But I, I do think if I watch these movies more than once... I will fall in love with them. I think they'll probably have a lot of lasting impact. Once again, the production design, every single aspect technically is sort of at the highest level it can possibly be. I mean, he's playing with different languages and shifting from black and white to color and all sorts of things are happening. And like you mentioned, the ensembles are huge. Mm-hmm. It's fun to see like new people come into his foray, you know, because yeah, he yeah. has sort of this company of actors. And I mentioned this, I think, in, in the Budapest episode that to me, that's like the working dream, right? Like you have your company of people, they get to you. And every couple of years you call them and you say, hey, Jason, who and so and so, Tilda, do you want to come on board? And they yeah. all show up and they have this great time. And it's fun to see him open his doors and have Tom Hanks. Join that crew, you know, or Margot Robbie in a scene or what have you. So I love that, that he's expanding his kind of repertory, actory company. But but yeah, there is a like love sort of gap here. But but I I do think the depth is much more because these are not just about a few people. They're about worlds. They're about societies that are in you know, either peril or decay or just aging or dealing with changing times or dealing with, you know, UFOs and aliens who can be a metaphor for anything that you want it to be. So I think there's just a lot of deep stuff going on in these movies. I agree. I think these movies are very complicated to kind of get at the core of, of, of the emotions. He there's a lot of, yes, the visual aesthetics you can say are distracting, but I think also just in the way that he's touching on these themes, it's a lot harder to access mm-hmm. than his previous works, which were, especially the Owen Wilson co-written ones, I think wore their hearts in their sleeves a little bit more. Yeah. Now their heart is on a sleeve, but it's covered by an overcoat, a jacket, another jacket, like a, a rain slicker. Like there's so <laughs> many different layers that he puts on that, that it's kind of hard to get at the heart of what some of these movies are. And I, I think that over time, as I break down these films, the more I watch them, I do think I will end up enjoying them a lot more than I do now, especially a film like Asteroid City, but they're harder to access. And I, yeah. I do wonder too, I think these are also are, you talk about worlds in decay and changing times. I mean, all three of these films were you know, post 2016. So sort of I think that presidential election in the United States did change a lot of things here. And I think Wes Anderson sort of struggling with that a bit. I mean, these are films, all three of them, especially while I love dogs, but even, French Dispatch and Asteroid City are very overtly political in their messaging, mm-hmm. which are themes that he has not really even touched upon or even glanced towards. I mean, maybe Grand Budapest a little bit, but not really. Mm-hmm. But now he's full on in it. I mean, you know, French Dispatch is a whole scene about, you know, student um, riots in France that are mm-hmm. political in the 60s. Obviously, Isle of Dogs is a whole allegory for a lot of different things like racism, fascism, government control. And Asteroid City, I think, is a lot of, there's a COVID commentary in that. Right. They have to be in quarantine and talk through windows, like Zoom meetings or whatever. So there's a lot of things that he's dealing with that 
are just broader themes versus very, very personal and intimate themes that I think a lot of his early movies brought out. So it's just interesting to see him evolve like that as a filmmaker, even though his films, are, I think, are harder to access, at least on an yeah. emotional level for me, even though I can appreciate the aesthetics. Yeah, I agree. I think you just have to take time to take those jackets off. Yeah. And the time. Yeah. And I don't mind working for a film totally. in terms of getting at it. It makes them richer. The more you t- different times you tackle it, different times you choose to pick it up and watch it. You're a different person. You'll connect differently. You, the world's different. How does that kind of play into it? So I, I think this, is a, it's almost like he's putting out a challenge for his hardcore fans like me to be like, these are the films they are difficult, but there's rewarding. You just have to work at it yeah. a little bit and I'll, I'll put the work in. I just haven't, haven't done that yet. You know? Totally. I agree. And I will say that they're still very personal. And that's the one thing mm-hmm. I love about him is that, you know, the scale of the movie might change, the devices at play might change, but you can tell that each of these movies, they mean something to him personally. And if this is the frame of mind he's in, sort of trying to navigate political changes and the turmoil in our world and such, then it's sort of kind of humbling and also cathartic to see that he also feels those things and he's trying to process them mm-hmm. through these movies like none of these movies i think are made just for the heck of it definitely you know, not. people might say that oh there's another Wes anderson movie all trying to be quirky so he can get his band of actors back together and put something you know beautiful on screen with intricate stuff mm-hmm. no he's doing all this because he is drawn to certain themes. And like you said up front, he's trying to use the things that are in his control mm-hmm. to process that, which mm-hmm. I love that actually. Me too. No, I, I really do too. Like using that, the, the techniques of, of film to try to control and then, and then unlock these, yeah. these emotions, which is something you can do in your own life too. I mean, there's certain things you're not a director, but there's certain things you can't control about your life. And there's certain things that you can't, and it's using the things you can control to help you focus on the things that you can and understand those emotions, I think, are is important and, and, and therapeutic in a way. And I, that's, I think, shown through his films, especially those those first those first three, which hold are held very near and dear to my heart. I mean, they're some of my favorite films of all time and really did shape me in a lot of different ways. I mean, each one of those films could be in almost every episode we've yeah. talked about so far, for sure. Finally, we should just note that his next film, short film on Netflix, is coming out based on a Roll Doll story. It's actually a first in a series that that will have already dropped on Netflix by the time folks are listening, but not by the time recording. So we can't comment on that film or the set of Roll Doll short films he has coming up. But Karan, what would you like to see him beyond those films do in the next part of his career? It's an interesting, hard question because, mm-hmm. you know, like we said, we'll show up for whatever he does. And he's right. just such a thoughtful artist that whatever he puts out, I'll be up for it. But just to kind of shake things up, I would actually love for him to go back and do something in the vein of Tannenbaums or Rushmore, a bottled rocket that sort of is stripped down, mm-hmm. you know, and more about story, more about characters I don't know if he can do that anymore because that's, you know, just feels like left behind and on a different trajectory mm-hmm. now. But just to shake things up, I would love for him to do something like that and maybe even try a different genre. Like there are all these memes about what if uh, Wes Anderson, what would a Wes Anderson Western look like or what mm-hmm. would a Wes Anderson superhero movie look like or what have you. So I don't know if he goes back to his kind of pure storytelling roots, maybe he takes up a different genre. What about a musical? Yeah. <laughs> what would that be? 
actually a musical with all his intricate Russian doll stuff would, would be, be amazing. Would be very cool. I, I'm trying to think, is he other than his there's been music sequences in the sense of especially during that needle drop period where there's like a montage where he's using the song and it, it definitely is very choreographed, but he hasn't really ever done a musical performance in any of his films, unless I'm forgetting something major. I'm going back and just thinking, I don't think there's been a, even a sequence of like a, yeah. some, someone singing or playing an instrument. Um, I mean, yeah. in, in um, Zisu, there was the guy playing the Bowie covers, but that was very different. That was more like a, a background thing that would actually be really fun. You know, I was actually thinking that less for me about the stripped down nature of it, but that I just love, like I've mentioned earlier in this, in this episode, just him to get back together with Owen as a screenwriting partner and whatever the visuals that he decides to come up with or how he decides to put that project together, what that is. I just, I think that that is a partnership. Again, those three films that they did together, are some of my favorite movies of all time. And I wonder what they would do now, even if just one thing to work together. And I also wonder too, as he's been very successful actually in playing in a lot of different mediums. I mean, speaking of these Netflix shorts he has coming up, he's done short films before. There was the one that was tied to Darjeeling Limited that I really like. He's done a lot of great commercial work that I think they're very fun commercials that are also do tell a story, have his good aesthetic there. And I wonder what he would do with a TV series, you know, 10 episode prestige thing. Maybe it's just a one season type of mini series kind of expanding on what he's been doing in, with things like the, uh, not only the, the short Netflix movies that he's been doing, but things like French dispatch is an anthology film. What if that was just expand a little bit? I just wonder what he would do with a longer narrative and just play around with the form a bit. I mean, obviously his aesthetics would still be there, but I, I just wonder what he would do in that type of in that type of environment on on TV, I just think would be an interesting path for him to take. But I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever do that beyond the commercials and short films. But we'll see. I guess, right? Yeah, that would be interesting. Although selfishly, I want him to make movies because I think sure, sure, sure. I want him to right. stay pure to this form and this format, and and then like we both said, like the joy of watching all of his artistry on the big screen is sort of unparalleled. And I almost don't want to taint that because once mm. you watched it at home and it'll be very interesting after this Netflix movie, this has never happened before, right? Like his stuff just dropped on Netflix mm -hmm. as it came out. So I'm curious what that, what that does and how that makes me feel. No, I get what you what you mean about the larger canvas. And it's also really fun. Like when I saw Asteroid, Asteroid City opening weekend, I think it was even in limited release in LA. I mean, the theater was totally packed. Mm -hmm. It's like he has hardcore Anderson fans that are there. And there's definitely that fun social aspect to it. But I see yeah. it more as a as a as a challenge. Yeah, I know right? what you Each mean. medium is a, is a bit of a challenge, even if you would do a stage play or something like I wonder what that would sort of be like. He is so talented that I think he could take those talents to different mediums. But um, for me, it's mainly about working with Owen would be a, be a great mm -hmm. thing. We'll see. Okay, well, thanks everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed our first journey down a path of filmography of a director. Like, like we said in the beginning, we'll do actors, directors, writers, who knows in the future. But right now we're talking Wes because of his shorts that's come out. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And then if you're not subscribed to our podcast, you do so on your podcast platform of choice. We're also on YouTube where you can listen to individual reviews of our movies. Make sure to also rate us or leave a review because that all helps folks find what we are up to here. So with that said, Karan, see you at the next Wes Anderson movie. I'll see you there in my tweed jacket and in my bicycle made of tuba parts. 